0: This is Lynn Franklin, principal of Lynn Franklin Wordsmith. And if you want to learn how to level up and be successful through masterminds, then you should listen to my good friend, Brandon Straza, with the Mastermind Effect.
1: You love to learn, grow, and improve yourself, but you're still not where you want to be? The right mastermind can be the ultimate secret weapon when it comes to personal development, but trying to find the one that's built for you isn't always easy. Welcome to the Mastermind Effect. The one and only show that focuses on helping you cut through the noise, invest in yourself, and move past your natural limits. This is everything you need to know about Masterminds, brought to you by your host, Brandon Straza. Hey everyone, today we've got the principal of Lynn Franklin Wordsmith, Lynn Franklin. Lynn talks about why you should never give your name to anybody in the first seven seconds of a conversation. Lynn gets into why confirmation bias can work against you. And Lynn gets into the rule of three and how it allows you to create a bigger impact on your life and those around you. Check it out. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show where you know I believe the only way to unlock your potential is to tap into the experience of others. But before we get into today's show and who we have got here, Are you a coach or group leader that wants to stay connected with their members? The SuccessFinder serves as a coach's exclusive platform to share courses, announce events, and initiate engaging discussions. The SuccessFinder eliminates the distraction of social media noise and restrictive algorithms while also reducing the number of systems coaches commonly use to manage content delivery and communication. If this is you, head over to the App Store and download the Success Finder. Click on the chat feature in the bottom right-hand side and message me to find out the next steps. All right, on to today's show on the Mastermind Effect. We have got the principal of Lynn Franklin wordsmith, Lynn Franklin herself. Lynn, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, happy to be here, Brandon, and welcome, everybody.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Real quick, when the listeners realize all the value that you're bringing today, and they want to reach out to you, work with you, just learn more about you, where's the best place for them to connect with you?
0: There are two places that are the easiest. The first is my website, which is not surprisingly, lynnfranklin.com, and that's L-Y-N-N-E, Franklin, just like Ben. And the other is on LinkedIn. So good old LinkedIn slash IN slash Lynn Franklin.
1: Yeah, head over to LinkedIn, head over to Lynn's website, check her out, reach out to her. And you know, you're gonna gain a lot of value today. So I always like to start out with like, hey, how can they connect with you? And then let's just let's dive right into it. If someone's sitting there saying, Is Lynn for me? What would you say your superpower is, Lynn? You know, what is it when someone comes to you, they're gonna expect like your superpower is this, and you're gonna elevate that group, that CEO, that
0: individual to the next level? Well, it's an answer that you would not expect, which is I'm a neuroscience nerd. So I study how the brain works and people say, what do you do for fun? And I say, I read boring neuroscience research. And then I try to figure out what it means in the real world. So when I coach executives on how to do a better job of connecting with other people, it's all about understanding how their brains work and then presenting your information in a way that the people you're trying to reach can see it, hear it, and feel it, and then make a good decision to do what you're recommending they do. So I'm going to say like what I just
1: heard. She said, I heard you take all the gooblygop that's going on up here and you simplify it so they can take their message to the people that are around them and have better connectivity with those that they're either working with, working for, or working for them. Is that a simplified version of
0: it? That's Perfect. So, for example, how many times have you ever been to a networking event? So a group of people, and fortunately, we're getting back into that. And you've been chatting with somebody that you've met for the first time, and you realize about two minutes into it, you cannot for the life of you remember that person's name. Ever happened to you, Brandon? Yes. Yes, it has. I have a lot of names up here. <laughs> okay. So here's the neuroscience behind it. The first seven seconds after you meet a new person, your brain is overwhelmed with information. For some reason, the first thing we notice is people's hair. And you got great hair, Brandon, so they'll notice your hair. And then we notice how they look, how they sound, where they're dressed, all those sorts of things. And the first seven seconds is usually when you introduce yourself, right? Hi, my name is Lynn. And the scoop is that people don't have bandwidth in the first seven seconds after they've met a new person, their brain is overloaded with this information. So their brain just throws out that name. And on top of that, names have no inherent meaning in our brains unless we already know somebody who has that name, or we could make a quick association. So for example, if your sister's name is Lynn, okay. But if I told you my name is Norma and you never met a Norma before in your life, your brain has thrown it out. So your brain is conspiring so that you don't remember names. And unfortunately, research also shows that our first name is the most important word in any language to us. So we want to connect with people remembering their names is important. So I've created what I call the seven second rule, which is never introduce yourself within the first seven seconds of having met somebody. You understand your brain just does not have the bandwidth to remember. So instead, ask a simple question like, oh, is this the first time you've ever been to an event like this? And let them answer it. Or make a statement like, oh, it's a beautiful day out there, isn't it? And let them respond. And you know, by that point, Seven seconds have gone by. And what that means is that your brain has calmed down and then you can actually ask them their names, look them in the eyes and say their first name a couple of times. Forget their last name. The first name is what's the most important. And then increase the chances that when your friend shows up two minutes down the road and wants you to introduce this person to them, you'll actually remember their name and you don't have to do all that tap dancing stuff. So the seven second rule is based on how your brain works and it helps you remember people's names. Wow. And something so simple, if you think about
1: it, it is very important for people. We want them to remember who we are. And if it's the first seven seconds, just don't even say who you are, or ask what their name is actually kind of a random comment, you know, unless you're going to wear a nameplate in your hair that says what your name is. If that's the first thing they're noticing, then that might be super helpful.
0: Yeah. Cause it's true. Most of the time when you're at a conference, people's name tags are in an embarrassing spot or under their hair or something, and you can never find them once you've forgotten their names. Yeah.
1: Wow. Hey, we've already given such an amazing thing for when you're out networking, when you're wanting to, you know, surround yourself with the right people. Let's keep hopping into this. And, you know, I feel our ability to learn has really changed over the last five to 10 years. When you and I were younger, it was teachers and textbooks. And I know you're still super into the textbook things. You're like, you know, the neuro textbooks, you know, and that turned into eventually our coworkers, our friends, our family, the people around us. But that's really a sliver of of what's
0: possible. How has your learning changed from your early years versus today? And here's an answer you're not going to expect either. And that is when I was younger or when we were all younger, information was new to us. And so we believed everything we heard. And now what ends up happening is that because you've been around for a while, your brain knows a few things. And there's something called confirmation bias, which is that once you know something, once you believe something or hold an idea to be true, your brain looks around for other information that supports what you already believe, which is fine. But what it does that can shoot you in the foot is that whenever information comes up that does not agree with a viewpoint that you have, your brain actively looks for reasons to, to disprove it, which is why we run into people who we give them some new information and they can't possibly believe it because it doesn't fit with what they have already confirmed in their mind. So for us... What it means is that as new information comes in, when it doesn't agree with what we already believe to be true, it's time to take that extra step of asking, is the source credible? Do I need to update what I believe based on the new information? Or is what I already believe is true, actually true? Wow.
1: And so, you know, it's like, don't judge a book by its cover. We have a bias going into every conversation. I I think that, you know, I see a lot of the time with what you're saying there is people want to be right more than helpful. And so they're going to fight a new information that contradicts what they already believe. And they're like, no, they're going to, that argument already happens in their brain or verbally, as opposed to being maybe helpful and just listening and learning. What is something someone can do? You and I come into a conversation. We meet for the first time. I don't ask you your name. I don't give you my name in the first seven seconds. We're talking about what's going on and what we think of the speakers at the event that we're at and what was our big takeaway. I always like, like, what's your one big takeaway? Don't tell me like 10 things. And throughout that, your takeaway contradicts something that I already believe to be true. How do I sit there internally without trying to be right? And I want to be helpful and learn and listen. How do I take a step back and like tell that DNA that's already hard-coded into me, stop?
0: And then what's the next steps? You know, and there are two answers to that, truly. The first is to always be curious because it's true. We learn every day and there are sometimes it's brand new information. It's nothing we have any connection to before. And we're excited about this in the chance to form new neural networks based on information that's coming in. And at the same time, life changes, doesn't it? What was true 10 years ago is not true now, as you were talking about learning, for example. And so to be curious and be willing to upgrade what's going on in your brain the way you upgrade other things in your life. So choose curiosity. The second thing is something I remember the mother of a high school friend of mine saying years ago that stuck with me. And she said, you can either be right Or be kind and there have been plenty of times when i've chosen to be right but the older i get the more i realize no kindness is more important because i can always find more information or i can always listen to somebody else's viewpoint i don't have to agree with it and that i think is a thing that many people forget is by listening to somebody it does not mean you agree it means it's an effort to understand because there are actually two different types of listening the first is the most common, and it's called listening to respond, where I listen to what you're saying, Brandon. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about, well, that reminds me of this. And here's what I'll say next when Brandon stops speaking. And there's the deeper level of listening, which is called listening for understanding and empathy. So I'm not just paying attention to the content of what you're sharing. I'm also paying attention to how you're sharing it and the things that are going on in your life and the other verbal and nonverbal cues that you're giving me. And I'm giving you my full attention as you're speaking because two things have happened we all have been in the situation where it's clear somebody's not paying any attention to us and they can hardly wait till we shut up so they can keep talking. But when people truly want to understand what it is that we're talking about and whether or not they agree with our viewpoint, it's the understanding that's more important. And so to give somebody that deeper level of focus, because one of the wonderful things that happens is that when you listen to understand someone, so you're listening more than you're speaking, which is exactly the opposite of what I'm doing right now, but you're listening more than you're speaking, what will ultimately end up happening is that the other person will encounter what's called the rule of reciprocity, where they will, I'll say to you, Brandon, you've been listening to what I've been talking about. I really want to know more about you. And I will be curious at that point because I want to reciprocate the listening for understanding that you have been giving me. Makes sense? Yeah, absolutely
1: does. And I think, you know, I'll correlate that in to what was going on in my brain while we were just having that. I'm like, okay, she's saying this. This is a great point over here, and bring this, and then, you know, but also continue focusing. So it was kind of like taking both of those sides, like, Here's, here's something that it makes me think of in my response or another question, but also like intently listening because it's important. Now, here's the great thing I think I would say for listeners, and I'm not the expert in this because I'm not an expert at anything, but we got Lynn, so I'll ask her. Podcasts are a great way to kind of go into a conversation. So in a podcast, you're listening to either one person or typically two people having a conversation. Your job is more in the, in the podcast to talk because I'm asking the questions, you're answering them. But if you go into a conversation as if it's a podcast and you're more on the listening side, so you're the listener, you know, you probably can get more out of a conversation and learn more out of someone and have more of a a deeper meaning and relationship by pretending as if the conversation amongst you at a networking event is a podcast. Listen, don't try to think about what's next. Be like, you know, actually intently listen with purpose. Throughout it. So I don't know. Maybe that's just kind of how it's. I'm wrapping my brain around how I should handle conversations. It's, oh, I'm listening to a podcast. So let me just listen to them. It's more about them than it is me.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's true because we can only accomplish so much on our own. We need to work with other people to accomplish bigger things. And in order to do that, we need to, I call it, it's the whole process of rapport is the gateway drug to creating anything good. And so for me, the process is rapport creates connection. Connection creates relationship. Relationship creates trust. And so rapport is the entryway there. And the only way I'm going to make that happen is if I'm paying attention to what's important to you. And you know that.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, we're kind of talking about information, you know, the information that you're giving to me back and forth or, you know, in a networking event. And I think we have more ways than ever to take in information than ever before. And to me, it's a little confusing. Some people learn from mentors, coaches, networking events, masterminds, online courses, lots of ways to learn out there. Who are you currently
0: learning from and how did you connect with them? And you know, I'm a big sampler of a little bit of everything. So what I'm paying attention to right now is Bolte Taylor. she wrote the book on having it was this, it was called a stroke of insight you know, a few years back. And I got interested in Jill Bolte Taylor because my, my brother had a stroke at about the same time she had hers. And she talked about how her she lost half of her brain. She lost the you know the left side of her brain to the stroke. So that's the logical planning. It's me that's separate from the rest of the world and spent a lot of time in the right side of her brain, which is the connection with the universe and the creative. And obviously she gets more into this than I do. And she's come out with her, her recent book, which is whole brain living. And I thought, okay, I'm going to check that out. And you know, for me, it's, I pay attention to the people who are talking about neuroscience. Another person I love is Susan Ibbetz, Ibitz, I-B-I-T-Z because she talks about how to pay attention to people's body language and then learn from them what their predilections are and to use this as a better way to understand what it is they think and value and how to connect with them that way. So I don't believe there are probably two people more different than Susan Ibitz and Jill (laughs) Bolte-Taylor. And I love them because they both teach me big, big ideas and then practical ways to to implement them. And that's the key thing that you said
1: right there. We love Susan. We've had her on the, uh, the podcast and she and I've had several conversations since then. But she freaks me out when she starts going to my eyes, my ears, my eyebrows and my nose and everything. We had it, most of our conversation on this part was off camera because, trust me, it should have been off camera. We had a lot of fun with it. But I think it is important. You said, I am not to paraphrase, Susan gives you applicable things you can implement. And I think a lot of the things that I see out there with coaching masterminds, I'll put gurus. That's a whole different category in itself. Gurus, quote unquote. They don't don't give you actionable items that you can take away and you can implement from a very simple standpoint once you understand, you know, what you're looking to get out of it. And that's one of the things that you do that Susan does and so many of the other coaches and great result leaders that I've had the fortune of getting to know give actionable items. I mean, in the first five minutes, you gave something that says, don't give your name or ask someone names in seven seconds. How difficult is that? That's like the simplest version. If that's all they took away from us, they won at the end of the day. And we keep going into more. So that's the thing. That's why Susan's amazing. And then Mm -hmm. obviously you said, is it the book is titled Stroke of Insight? Stroke of Insight
0: was Jill Bolte-Taylor's first book, right? Okay.
1: I thought it was going to be Stroke of Genius, but Mm -hmm. Stroke of Insight. Yes. So, and that's who you really want to look at when you're looking for the right coach, the right mentor, mastermind, whatever it is. Are they going to give you the actual results? Are they going to bedazzle your bridge? If you're here and you want to go here, how much noise are they bringing in by giving you things that don't pertain to what you want to do? You know, self-education, masterminds, all these courses, they've been around for a long time. If you really think about it, the first mastermind kind of could have been the apostles, and then eventually, Benjamin Franklin, he creates the Junto Club or the Leather Apron Club. And then this guy by the name of Napoleon Hill writes a book about it and really solidifies the word of mastermind. As self-education continues to grow, where do you see the parallels going between standard education, college, university, versus self-education being someone that's in the trenches actually doing it, self-education, coaching, masterminds, mentorship, online programs, where do you see them going moving forward?
0: Well, and here's the blessing. It's not an either or thing. It's a both and because school is great to learn concepts and to be exposed to new ideas and to learn how to learn. And then, of course, there's the real world. It's it's funny because on Saturday I'm actually going to be teaching before the 3G School of Psychology in India. And they're having psychologists from all over the world talk about psychology, and I of course am going to talk about how now that you're graduating with a degree in psychology, are you going to interview for a job? And for me, it's the excitement of being with young people who love to learn and who are forming these new ideas and you know, and enjoying school and then creating that bridge to What's it going to look like in the real world when I'm out of school? And you're right. There are so many places to learn these days. You know, it used to be you'd have to sit in the library or you'd have to borrow a book or read a newspaper. And now information just comes to us, which, of course, the downside of that is it can be very overwhelming. And research indicates that we are not very good at distinguishing what is, quote unquote, real news and what is fake news. So we as human beings need to be paying more attention to where we're getting our information and and truing it up and not just believing everything that happens. But mastermind groups and coaches and online workshops... These things are such a gift. And as you already know, Brandon, you have to do your research up front to figure out where it is you're going to spend your time because you don't have an infinite amount of it. And you want to give your time, which is valuable to the people who can give something back to you, which is this learning and practice.
1: Yeah. Time, resources.
0: They are limited.
1: There's only so much that we have of our time and resources to go around and your resources could be financial. It could just be, you know, I mean, there's so many different things and making sure that one bad experience doesn't, you know, move you off your track or say, Hey, I'm just, I'm going back to the way I did things before. You know, that's my favorite one. It's like, Oh, I'm going to go back to how it used to be. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what, Mm -hmm. it's never the way it used to be. It's always changing and you should want that.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and frankly, it probably never was the way you thought it was then either.
1: (laughs) Exactly. The picture, the lens that you're seeing it through might not be the lens that really is. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's rose colored glasses, but uh, no, I love that. I love that. You know, so when I work with some of my coaches, we talk about success and what does it mean and what does it take to be successful? And to me, a few of the things that we talk about in the solo shows for success is mentorship, willingness to learn, experimentation, partnership, willingness to fail. And then on the flip side, willingness to define success and why so many of us, we don't define success is because once we do, we technically have also defined failure. I want to go to every one of my kids' soccer games, that's success to me. If I miss one, technically I failed. What do you feel is a key attribute when it comes to building and creating sustainable success?
0: And we've already touched on it a little bit. For me, it's the importance of curiosity, because when I started my communication practice literally 28 years ago this month, I was primarily a a financial writer, and I taught CEOs and CFOs of public companies, how to speak to their investors about their growth strategies and their business plans and their financial performance. And I could have stayed there. But what ended up happening for me was, geez, about 10 years ago, I thought, you know, I want to be a better version of myself. And if I could do that on my own, I would have done it by now. So I need some help. And I started going out there and looking at personal development programs. And a lot of them at the time had the think happy thoughts and good things will happen to you. And I thought, yeah, I get positive mindset, but sitting and smiling at my phone will not make it ring with clients. And I came across a a program that had a neuroscience component to it. And I thought, you know, if there's a reason for doing something one way versus another because of how my brain works, I can sign up for that. And then fortunately for me, the whole field of neuroscience began to explode. And the things that we knew about our brains just increased exponentially. And I thought, if it's my job to help my clients connect with people, then knowing how the brain works and how to better present information or sit down and shut up and let other people talk, then that's a good thing. So I suddenly morphed from a writer into somebody who studies the brain and then works that into things. So it became the thirst for curiosity. Success is always being curious about the next thing that's out there and how, number one, for me, I can understand it, and two, how I can share it to help other people make their lives better. So the fact that I speak and train around the world is something that 28 years ago, I never could have imagined I would do. I would never have defined success that way. So it becomes an evolution. Pay attention, continue to pay attention to how success feels, the things that engage you, the things that are fun, the things you can share, and keep changing that definition of success. To one that you really want to have.
1: Yeah. A childlike curiosity. Because I think we take the child out of us at a certain point. And I think it's time to put the child back in us. So we have that curiosity. We're having those questions. We're wanting new experiences and possibilities are infinite. I mean, 10 years ago, you're saying you've had your practice for 28 years. 10 years ago, you're like, I need to make a change. And then you found something that you were able to implement that also you know, fed what you were already hungry for in the neuroscience area and said, ah, that's for me. And now, look, you continue to just have it going for you. I'd love to hear, as I've got a few questions, I'd love to hear a success story. And if we've got to use you know, fake names, whatever it is, but like someone that has worked with you, and because they came to you with X problem, you were able to solve Y, and the outcome turned out to be this. I'd love to, for the listeners to hear uh, so that you know they can say, Oh, that's me, but give us something that someone that has been through your program,
0: your work, and what was the outcome? Mm-hmm. It's one that I'm, it's the recency effect. What I'm doing now is always the most fun for me. And I'm working with the president of a company, a hospitality company. And I was originally brought in by the chairman of the company who said, the president needs some presentation skill stuff. And whenever somebody says that to me, I know it's code for something. And then it's my job to figure out what that really means. And so I had the president take a personality inventory as I always do. So I know how he likes to learn and how he views the world. And then I did the 360 interviews around him so I could figure out what else is going on in the organization, how do other people perceive him, including the chairman. And so what I discovered in part is that the chairman had earmarked the president as his heir apparent, but the chairman was also very controlling. And now that the chairman knew the president was his heir apparent, he was micromanaging him. And looking for things to make the president wrong because the chairman had his own insecurities. And, you know, and the last thing he wanted to do was have everybody else recognize that the president is the up and comer and people not pay attention to what he is the chairman was saying anymore. So there was his personal conflict as well as the things that were going on with the president. And so one of the, the goals the president and I set was that he would learn to better manage the chairman. And what that meant was, instead of having knee-jerk reactions where the chairman would say something and the president would just you know, react in anger, I said, we're going to change the level of communication because your goal is to move up into this position faster. So let's change how you communicate. And, every, and it became for him the goal of every time he had a communication written or verbal with the chairman, it was, how can I make the chairman think that everything I'm doing is for him to achieve the things he wants to achieve is something that it was either his idea or something I know he wants. And we altered the way he communicated with the chairman. And guess what? Nine months into this relationship, the chairman has now cut the succession planning time in half. My guy will step up to chairman later this year because he changed the way he was communicating with the chairman. Wow.
1: All through communication. Mm-hmm. Problem X came in, but sometimes what we think is the problem wasn't, especially in this case. Mm -hmm. And look at that. You're cutting, you know, a large corporation, their uptime in half to get to the next person that is going to be at the helm of it. Right.
0: So the president gets to achieve his goals faster. And of course we did the presentation stuff and he's a better presenter and is more concise when he does Q&A, the things that the chairman had earmarked the relationship to do. So we've done that stuff but there were other things. And I think everybody out there who does coaching finds this as well. There's what they bring you in to do. And then there's what you discover they really need or want. Yeah. And you address both of those things because you want them to reach their goals.
1: Yeah. When you start weeding the garden, you find the things, the coach, the right coaches find the things like, okay, yeah, we're here for this real quick. This is going to help simplify some things as well. When you start weeding that garden, you know, I feel that In times of prosperity, it's easier to find the wins. But I think ingenuity and creativity come when we feel the squeeze. The world's felt a squeeze in the last 18 months. What are you working on right now that's going to take place over the next 12 months that excites you?
0: I'm working on my second book, which is called Leaders on Rapport, Secrets to Creating Successful Connection. And I interviewed almost 100 different leaders. And I'm talking about everybody from country music musicians to traditional business leaders to people who are in social work and neuroscience and ask them the deceptively simple question what's your secret to building rapport quickly and then maintaining it over time with your people and your clients and then shutting up and listening to what they had to tell me and i'm in the process of pulling together all of their great ideas and their wonderful stories Because as you've already heard, I believe rapport is the gateway to creating success wherever you are in your life and creating connection with other people and relationships and trust. And so putting together the best ideas that I can find and then backing them up with the neuroscience behind why these things work. And then factoring in exercises at the end of every chapter that now that you know this, here's how to use it and make it your own. Because how many times have we all read great books and thought, yeah, I'm going to do that. And we encounter inertia, which is the most powerful force in the universe. It is so easy to do what we've always done. So I say, instead of just reading a good book and thinking, yeah, I like that at the end of every chapter, there, is the, there are the exercises. And so do those and make the information your own and increase the chances that you'll take it out into the real world and benefit from it.
1: Yeah, I think that's really key. Because of the fact you're saying, okay, here, you've learned this. Now, here's how to implement it. Here's what you do. Here's your work. Like, here's your homework to go do it. Like, someone is holding us accountable, even if it's that last page in the chapter. Us, our human mindset's like, oh, someone told me, I've got to write this. I've got to write something in here, even if it, and that right there, if they take one thing and implement one thing out of however many chapters it is, your book has done its purpose, has allowed them to move the needle forward as opposed to just, becoming paralyzed, analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis, however it goes. So, all right, last one. And we've had several in here, but I love leaving the listeners Mm -hmm. with this. What is a tip, a tactic, an actionable item that if anyone listening today implemented this over the next 30, 60, 90 days would see a real impact on their personal or business life? So I've already
0: shared with you the seven second rule. Let me share with you the rule of three, which is that. People can only hold three ideas in their short-term memory without it becoming full. So if you go into a meeting with five ideas you want people to remember, by the time you get to four, they've lost number one, and chances are good, you're standing in number two. So I say, use the rule of three whenever you're designing any experience where you want to be more connected and more persuasive with people. Because that will force you then to pick the top three things that you want people to remember at the end of that meeting. So if it's an agenda, there should only be three ideas on the agenda. And if you're doing Q&A, you should only have three important points you want them to remember after you leave. Feed people the amount of information they can handle. And the magic number is three. And once you do that, just remember the important stuff. Or get the things done that need to be done in meetings, which don't become interminable. And then want to spend more time with you because you have made their lives easier by understanding what their capacity is and how their brains work.
1: Wow. So many wonderful nuggets to take away. So many simple things that if you implement them immediately, it's not that difficult.
0: I love this. It's why I'm still around after 28 years. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love it.
1: We have got the principal of Lynn Franklin Wardsmith, Lynn Franklin herself. Lynn, thank you so much for your time today, for the unbelievable takeaways. We'll have them in the show notes below, how they can reach out to you, connect with you. Thank you so much.
0: Brandon, it's been a gas. Hey, everybody go out there, use this stuff. It really works.
1: Thank you for listening to The Mastermind Effect, your secret weapon for personal development. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to experiencing the mastermind effect.